Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we flip the real estate status quo on its head and put loan officers into the driver's seat. We, we, we give you all the tools, strategies, resources, and mindset needed to modernize your mortgage business and thrive. And my name is Luke Shankula, aka Longform Luke, and this is the Loans On Demand podcast. I hope you're ready for the Loans On Demand podcast. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Loans On Demand show, the show where we help loan officers flip the status quo on real estate agents and put loan officers in the driver's seat. And today, and I'm so excited because we have Daryl. Daryl Evans is a serial entrepreneur, investor, and co-founder of Yokel Internet Marketing. Uh, as a digital marketing agency there, he and his team have helped businesses generate over $300 million in revenue online. Uh, and he's personally started, uh, I think, what, Six different businesses since you were 20? Man, that's crazy. Uh, and the other thing that's crazy is that you spent, I think, 10 plus years in the mortgage industry from about 2000, 2010. Thank you so much for being here, Daryl. Uh, welcome, man. Thanks, Luke. Appreciate you uh, having me and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Awesome, man. And, and, and there was a bunch of other things that you sent over that, that you've accomplished over, over your career, uh, which is incredible. But um, let's, let's kind of start back at the beginning, because I, I love to hear a little bit about your story, your, 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 the come up story, right? You know, that's, that's one of my, my sweet spots. And, and just kind of, you know, I, I just like to show people that are getting started that, that no one has that like super clear path to the top, right? It's always super bumpy yeah. and things like that. So I like to talk about the journey a little bit. Like what did that look like uh, starting the mortgage company back in 2000, growing, getting out of it, all that kind of stuff. Talk to me about that. Yeah. You know, so I appreciate again, the, and I, I agree, you know, a lot of times you read bios and intros and people get all caught up with today's story, but the reality is everybody starts at a beginner at a beginner level with a big, big zero on the calendar, a big zero in the scoreboard. Uh, but mm -hmm. I started my entrepreneurial journey when I was in college. Uh, while I was working full time. And I, my first step was into the real estate. Actually, that's not true. The second step was into real estate, but I started a uh, kind of an e-commerce line, uh, sportswear. I was a sports guy, I played football, baseball, basketball, that kind of stuff. So I started selling stuff out of the trunk of my car just to offset college expenses. Um, but then I stepped into the world of real estate after I had my first son. And that was my first entry into the world of you know full-time sales, um, and, you know, being able to start from nothing because you get no salary, exact kind of thing. So right. it was at that time I started developing my marketing chops because the way we were taught to sell back then as a real estate agent was go, uh, you know, cold call, door knocking, all this stuff. And I got oh, it. What's and I had still a being sold? What's still being, yeah, what's still I, being taught today? <laughs> yeah, I still get some, I still get some cards on my house door from time to time and flyers and whatnot. And I'm still like, oh my gosh, this is 2022. And you're really, anyway, so I, I just realized that there probably was a better way. It wasn't that I wasn't up to the task of cold calling. I was good at the scripting and the whole bit. I got taught the whole stuff, Tom Hopkins, some old, old school names in the business, um, Zig Ziglar, uh, you know, I went through the training, I got it all done. Sure. But I did. Res I realized that consumers just didn't seem to be open to that that outbound, cold, in your face. Hey, your house just went off the market today. Let me stop by. Or hey, you're back then. It, it doesn't happen as much anymore. Uh, but for sale by owners, were a big deal back then, where people wanted to save, you know, four or five percent trying to sell it on their own, or whatever the case. Right. So I meet a guy named Joe. He teaches me all he knows about cold calling. So I get I get it from one of the best in the business. But then I did an open house for a guy named Mark, and Mark happened to be one of the top real estate agents in the in the state. He was number two, I think, by uh, the ratings. And okay. I noticed at one of his open houses that he had a flyer, and and one of the things was make sure to give these people these flyers. Well, it wasn't the traditional flyer of the house with the specs and how the bedrooms, the bathrooms, the square footage, and all this stuff. 
it was an invitation to call a 1-800 number and download a free special report. And so that was the beginning of my understanding of what we, we, we would call today direct response marketing, because while they came to the property to look at the house, he wanted his agents to hand someone this letter because they would then go back, call the 1-800 line. And today that's a landing page. That's all it is. Back then it was 1-800. It was an automated phone line and it had extensions. So let's say they were looking at this property, uh, want to know how to buy this house with, with no money down. Let's just say that's what the, the flyer said. Call 1-800 extension 502. You'd listen to the message on 502 and it was just an automated voicemail right? Which today is a landing page video, right? It's sure. all the same mechanism. That's what was very interesting. So I learned what Mark was doing. And I realized that he, of course, was a top listing agent, but then he also was able to bring in all the buyers. So not only did he have the inventory of the property on the market, but then he was curating all of these buyers. And so there was no reason. I quickly figured out, oh, he's not just double ending deals because that doesn't really happen. You don't sell everybody your listings. But right. I'm like, oh, he's building a, a listing, a, a pipeline of both. Fast forward to 2000. I jump into the mortgage industry. I really didn't, I, I didn't care for being a real estate agent. And, but I, I was a finance guy. So got a degree in finance. And so I jumped in the mortgage industry 2000. Uh, we didn't start the company, my business partner and I back then, we didn't start the company until 2005, but I was an independent LO, just like your listeners. Okay. But there was something I didn't love about real estate agents during that six or seven years I had my license prior. And I said, it, I was, you know, they were always begging me for deals and knocking on my door, bringing me the flyers, the rate cards and all this stuff. And I'm like, that just doesn't, that just, that didn't present them in a very uh, professional light. So sure. I was like, hmm. So if that's the case, let me go ahead and do what Mark did. And I'm using Mark as a reference point. Let me sure. do what Mark did and let me go get the customers. Let me go get the customer and get the loan done first. Let me get the pre-qualification done first. Let me get the pre-approval done first. And now when I make the phone call to the realtor to stop by and have lunch, coffee, or can I pop by the office, I'm actually bringing a lead. Like I'm bringing you a customer. And that I quickly figured out that changed the paradigm. And it allowed me over a couple of years to get myself to working with the top 200 agents, some of the top 200 agents, not all of them. Uh, I still had to figure out a way to get in. I, stick, I, I had to figure out a way to keep bringing leads to the door, but I also then had to figure out how to get the attention of the top 200 agents. Cause I realized right. that the average real the average real estate agent only closed two and a half, three deals a year. Right. So I'm like, do I want to manage a bucket? I don't know if that's still the same number today, but if they only I think closed, the average is about 40, 40 to 50 grand income. Uh, is like but you can average. make that in a good market. You can make that on a couple of deals. If you're in California, yeah, like two to three deals. On one deal. You can make that on yeah, a couple no. of deals. Yeah, yeah, right. for and, sure. I and, agree. And so I I was more interested in units. How many units will they do? Because mortgage lenders sure. get paid a lot less than real estate agents. So I needed units. I was always a units guy. So let sure. me figure out how many. Uh, so my point is, I was like, hmm, most of these realtors are part-time. Hmm. So anytime they need something, it was always a fire. It was always an emergency. It was always because they needed the money for vacation. I'm not, I'm just right. saying there's a difference between someone who's full-time and part-time. That's all I'm saying. And I just realized that I didn't love the attitude of the part-timers because the part-timers, it was always scarce mentality. It was always yeah. an emergency. It was always hurry, hurry, hurry. And then there was this other group who ran things like a business. And I said, sure. you know, I want to work with them. And so I used a strategy to get in front of them by basically knowing that they all were taught, um, make sure you have three lenders that you work with. <laughs> right. <laughs> that right. Was the, make sure you have three. I don't know how the number three came up, but make sure you always have three. 
And so I would send them a note that simply said, hey, I realize you probably have three lenders that you work with. I just wanted to send you my information just in case something went wrong and you needed someone to come off the bench. So I would use sports analogies because I'm a sports guy. Well, sure. that was that was mildly effective, mildly effective. Then I got real fancy and I started saying, okay, let me tell them ahead of time that I have a pipeline of buyers. And I had to figure out how to say that because I wasn't going to turn all my buyers over to them because I, right. had, I wanted to serve them. But I used that as the hook and that started opening a lot of doors and building a lot of really good relationships. And that was kind of how it, it developed. And then, of course, the internet started really getting live. I started using email marketing in 03 because I was saying the same thing a thousand times. So I just put it into an auto drip system on Get Response, company still around mm-hmm. to this day. That was an early thing. I had a 52-part email drip system. Uh, we jumped online with our first website and started doing lead gen in 05, uh, competing against Lending Tree and Quicken Home Loans, which is now Rocket. So I'm kind of right. an OG with with your audience, and I hope yeah, I can add yeah. some value beyond this. Well, I, I love. I mean, so just just to kind of you know put context there, what what Daryl's talking about is the things that obviously we talk about today, right? With the internet, things like that. We're talking about how do you give back to the consumer, or sorry, how do you give back to the realtors versus always having to go beg realtors for business, right? And I think you know one of what's cool is that you you kind of got ahead of that, but you understood. And it's interesting because I just had this conversation with somebody the other day. If instead, if instead, so like the two ways, so let's just say you become a real estate agent. The first thing that a real estate, uh, a real estate broker is going to tell you is go work your sphere of influence. Right. You become a loan officer. The first thing they tell you is go call realtors. Right. So if we change <laughs> that narrative, if branch managers instead said, go out and work your sphere of influence, go direct to the consumer, generate your own people. We would be having a very different conversation because I've talked to people, I've talked to loan officers in other countries. I've talked to people like in Australia, uh, Canada, the consumer in those countries knows that the first person they need to go to is finance. They need to go to the loan officer first because you can't go get a house without financing in place unless you have cash. Obviously, uh, most people don't have that. So um, that being said, in the US, realtors have done just that much better of a job Ops. of marketing direct to the consumer. And that's why that's happening, right? So, so is it the right thing? No, I, I think unfortunately, realtors are smart enough to know that whoever controls the lead controls everything, right? Whereas, like you know, I think loan officers wanted to be lazy and said, "Hey, you know, I just want to, I just want to wait for the realtors to do the whole job. I'm just going to sit here and wait for them to to send me someone who's who they've been working with for six, 12, 18 months, and now is ready to move forward." That's the other problem too. Is like referral minded LOs think that the transaction happens in 30 to 60 days. Like they, they just think that that's what happens. And the truth is that's not the truth. You just, you just don't, you don't deal with the person until they're like ready to move forward and ready to buy yeah. today. Right. And so there's yeah. a very different, a different way you approach referrals versus leads and things like that. But, but regardless, getting direct to the consumer is valuable as, as is evidenced uh, with, with you, Daryl, being able to do this, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 years before it was really a thing. Right. I mean, not that, you know, people weren't doing that already, but I mean, the average LO, even today in 2022, is still doing the same thing. They're still cold calling realtors and they're not going direct wow. to the consumer. So talk a little bit about that, man. Talk yeah. about what your success looked like yeah. and, and how that conversation differed once you switched your, your pitch. Yeah. So, you know, I, I want to emphasize what you just said. And it wasn't that I was that much ahead of my time. I want to talk a little bit about human behavior and buying, uh, buying psychology. And we can even sure. take this outside of the real estate and finance industry, right? None of us want to be sold anything at the end of the day, right? So everybody agrees when I say this in presentations and I teach, 
So we all agree that these same human principles, we as consumers, would we prefer to browse until we're ready to shop. We prefer to look until we're ready to buy. We prefer to go to the car lot even before the days of the internet. We want to go to the car lot and not be bothered by the salesperson. However, there is a certain journey that an interested consumer will take. Today, that's mostly online. There's a certain journey that they'll take. And if you understand as, a, as an originator and or any other small business, that you could find your way into that journey because they're going to need you anyway. So the question is, is right. whether you want to be at the mercy of whether you get the referral or whether you want to be the value proposition for why they are actually moving forward. And today we can probably dive into some of the digital things. But what I saw back then was I, I just understood that to your point earlier, right? If you get in financial services, they tell you to work the warm audience. If you get into the insurance business, they tell you to work the audience. Hell, if you get in network marketing, they tell you to work your warm audience. In the mortgage right. industry, call realtors. So I love what you right. said. It's just backwards. You have nothing of value to give. They don't want a damn piece of paper that says what the rates are. They're right. smart enough. And no. now today, they can figure I mean, that out online. Right, right. So so, so what? I, here's what I knew. Here's what I knew. I wanted you know, a little bit of control freak. I like, I like organization. I like structure. I like predictability. Sure. Let me talk about predictability. I like predictability. If I have to wait on a realtor to send me business, I'm out of my element of control. Meaning if I'm a business owner, not a loan officer, right? You know this, uh, Luke, in your coaching, I'm sure you come across loan officers who've been in the business 10 years or at the same place they were year one. Right. Slight more yep. income, business still out of control. I, I'm not saying that to be negative, but I, what, this wasn't my first foray into business. And I got a little bit of training on systems and automate, not automation so much, but systems and leverage and sure. delegation. I need to do what I do best, which is originate. And so, the, but I also realized somebody's got to make it rain. Right? right, we call it rainmaking. Who's who's right. going to bring the, the 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 revenue to the door? And I realized that was my gift. That was my skill. That's what I do. That's what I've been doing for thirty years now. So all I did was want. I wanted leverage. I wanted to make sure that I had value to bring to the marketplace because I realized that in the long run, I would be working with realtors. I wasn't naive to the idea that I needed to develop relationships with realtors, but I wanted to figure out a process that would bring me closer to the actual transaction and then add value. And I think that's, so one thing is a core belief of mine in business is to be a resource, whether I get paid or not, right? So if I just Love show that. up with a rate sheet, I'm not a resource. I'm an annoying pest. And I, that's just, a, it's binary for me. So if I work with someone and I think there's an opportunity for us to collaborate, how can I step forward with a piece of value in such a way that it either fits where you're at or it doesn't, it's not a sales pitch, but can I bring some value to the table so that we can have a meaningful dialogue and see if there's an opportunity to collaborate? And I just didn't see anything that was meaningful. Me telling you that I could offer a 3-1 LIBOR or telling you I could offer a, a 5-1 uh, variable arm, or I could offer you construction to perm financing and all the stuff that was going on back then, it wasn't valuable to the realtor. It was valuable to the customer. So, you know, differentiation, you know, so I just realized it was going to be a path of, uh, to not where I wanted to go. So I got good at it. And I, you know, we did all kinds of things. We, um, uh, we use classified ads, we use direct mail, direct mail was a big thing for us. And I'll tell you one of the best things we ever did early before the internet really started kicking off for us in 04, 05, and 06 was we would, um, to our to the best realtors we wanted to get a hold of, so we we get was we we get with the title companies and figure out who's doing the top production. Mm -hmm. And one of the best things we would do once we had our pipeline 
was we would send them a envelope in the mail and make sure that it was big and obnoxious, like the biggest envelope we could find. Like a lumpy mail type of a tactic. They can't, you can't throw it away. So the goal of direct right. mail is to get it open. The goal of an email is to get it open. All of this stuff sure. is the same today, right? The goal of an ad is to get read, then clicked on. So back right, then it, right, was, right. it was mail. So what, how do I get this envelope open? And then how do I make sure it doesn't end up in the trash the minute it gets open? And I figured out a way to make sure it doesn't end up in the trash. And here's what it is. It sounds like it's so simple when you hear it. But again, I want to show up with value first. There was nothing in the envelope that was going to make them money. So what could I put in there that would make them money? Money. So I, I put a dollar say, bill. $2 a dollar bill crisp, or a dollar bill. Yeah. A crisp dollar bill. I, went, I made sure they were always crisp from the bank. And I wasn't sending out thousands of these because there were only 280 realtors that were in this list or 220 something realtors at any given time. So it wasn't like I was sending tons of these letters. And the point of it was not because the dollar is going to be, oh, they're going to worship the dollar. No, it's, it means that who's in front, who's protecting their time can't throw it away. See? So I found wow, a way to get past the gatekeeper. Right. And that's, that. that was it. So by the way, anybody listening to this? Give it a shot. See what happens. It, 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 I bet you that works. Doing, of course, it has to. still works. And, 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 and just, a, just to give it an example yeah. real quick, I know an agency that does that. They send a $2 bill. I think it, I think this came from like Jay Abraham or one of those guys, one of the one of the big marketers. Basically, he puts a $2 bill and everything. He's just like, basically, like, I want to send you money because I want you to see like, we're, you're already making money now. You've already made money from us. This is just the first couple of dollars you made working with yep. us and we can't wait for you. Now they send that out. That's like their welcome, their welcome gift when someone signs up with them. Obviously they've already given them money, yeah. but still it's the same principle. It's a principle. So the reality was like, if I'm trying to prospect one of the top realtors in the marketplace, they're busy. They have at least three, three, three loan officers that they're already in relationship with. I'm not trying to show up and change the relationship. I'm trying to show up and become aware. Like I'm trying to make myself aware to them. <clears throat> and I am literally, my pitch was literally, I just want to, I just want to see is if you have room on the bench. Now I don't remember the exact language, but that I was not trying to show up and be the guy. I was trying to simply say that inevitably, as you probably aware, things go wrong. And if for whatever reason, something changes, I just wanted you to know who we were. And I do plan. And I would call after a couple of days, because once they get the dollar, the, the law of reciprocity would click, kick, kick in. So they would at least take my call. And right, Robert right, Cialdini, right. Robert Cialdini would talk about that later in his book, but I hadn't read the book and I didn't know anything about psychology. I was just thinking, I'm trying to get past the gatekeeper and my job is to make sure my mail doesn't end up in the trash. That was my incentive. And, and so once I enter, entered that kind of thought process, I became a student of what it took to invest in what does it mean to be a resource? And it means different things, different people, different industries, but it's the same kind of conversation we think about online today. So fast forward, everything in that regard went well, built a ton of relationships, um, built a, a thriving business. 08 happened, of course. Uh, but now I'm looking back and I'm doing, I'm, I've got a YouTube channel, 2007. I'm early social media and nobody's talking digital. So that was when we made the pivot. And I was like, you know what? I like the mortgage industry a lot, but I also wanted some things with my lifestyle to be a little different. And that's right, what made right. us uh, kind of pivot. Nights and, and weekends, doing huh? Nights and weekends, I was coaching. a lot. All yeah, of, it. All of lot. it was garbage. Yeah. yeah, it was it was goofy to me. And so I said, you know what? Kevin and I had done some work, my business coach, uh, 2005, six, seven. And I'd done some work on my life plan. And, and it just looked like a ripe opportunity to make a transition and, and it helped the business community move to a, a more leveraged digital uh, approach to customer acquisition. Love that, love that. And I wanted to touch real quick on something that you mentioned there at the very end, right? Like, so I think what happens too many times is is let's say you know a new loan officer or a loan officer comes in and they 
they do, they're able to get direct to the consumer. They start doing leads, things like that. I think what happens is a lot of times loan officers come in and they make these demands, right? Hey, I'm, if I'm going to give you this lead, if I'm going to give you this lead, I expect you to give me all your business. And, and I think the, the conversation instead should be more of like, hey, you know what? We have this program. We do generate leads. How about I send you over this lead? We'll work on this one together. And then after that, we have a conversation on if we want to work together moving forward, right? Right? Like, and then, and then that's when you can have that conversation around like, okay, if I'm going to send you these leads, yes, I will need to have exclusivity, but I'm not, it's not going to be based off of never working with the person. Um, you, cause, cause at yeah. the end of the day, like a loan officer, I think too many times loan officers think that giving, giving value, like, yes, you want to give value, but you also need the foundation to be set, right? You need to be a good loan officer yeah. first. Relationship, doesn't matter right. how much Relationship, business you give them. Yeah. You got to deliver. Yeah. Let me, let me say something about that. It's a great point you brought up, right? Number one. Um, there is, there was no such thing to me as exclusivity. Number one, I, meaning if I bring you the lead, you're not shopping my lead down the street. That, that was an understanding with the relationship, but I would never get into these relationships. And all of a sudden I felt like I was owed anything. See the problem with some people, and it's not just in the, in this space that we're talking about, it's in the businesses that I work with. We've worked, you know, with hundreds and hundreds of companies now, $300 million. Somehow, for some reason, we think we're owed something. That and it's not the case. My job was to say, listen, I want to be one of the people that you rely on. One of the people. There may be times when they're buying the new home and they have to use the in-house lender because there's incentives. I understood the game. Right. There's times when they bank at B of A and B of A owns the track, and B of A is I, there. I just there's no sense in crying over that stuff. The goal was have enough realtor relationships that were high value with high valued producers. Let's be clear about that. If I know that I want to do six to 10 transactions per realtor, then that means I can't work with the average loan officer because the average loan officer is only going to do four deals, three three deals a year, two on the buy side, two on the list side. And I'd have to have a gazillion relationships now to get to my number of a hundred. Right, so right. I just got, it's math. It was just math. But the question is, is will you invest in the mechanism to have the high level relationships. And let me say one other thing. I had plenty of realtors who took the other approach to what you just said, which is not the loan officer asking for exclusivity, but where I would finally get you know, a relationship or a door would open with a, a big time producer. And I'd had this go through. Now that we're working together and I'm going to send you more deals than you ever will send me, which was true, by the way, because if you get with a top producer, there's no way you're going to fund you're not right, going to keep right, up right. with them. It's just not going to happen. Well, because you're because you're going to be sending it to multiple loan officers or realtors anyway, right? So you, right. you're never going but, to have that exclusivity either. But they would. But I and I remember a number of these conversations. And now it's like, oh, but I need you to put a thousand dollars, fifteen hundred dollars per For deal Zillow, back right. into this advertising or to sure. this luxury magazine. And I'm like, yo, no, 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 no. This is not. So I would end relationships on that. Uh, we're not going to go with demands. Uh, because you're going to outproduce me. The fact of the matter is you are going to outproduce me. But yeah, this is partnership. And I'm happy to participate, but don't tell me I've got to put in How X amount of dollars. In a, like, we're either, so to your point, it's all relationship and, and you just got to figure out what it's like. But if, the first thing is you've got to have, like you said, you've got to have a valuable offer. You've got to be great at production front to back. Um, I was, uh, you know, my background in finance, I wanted to go work on Wall Street. And I think it, it lended to my ability to, to understand the ebbs and flows of mortgage loans and, and the ups and downs and all the hiccups and underwriting and all the processes, which you don't get paid. One of the things that, that a lot of people don't recognize, real estates do too, you've got to be some kind of character to put all of your work up front and don't have a guarantee you're going to get paid. I'm not talking about just sales. I'm talking about the full in work. 
That's like building a house and not knowing for sure if you're going to get paid for the house. Like right. when you build a mortgage, when you get the mortgage through the process, you've done all the work. And then, uh, you know, if we fast forward to 08, 09 and goofy stuff happened, um, you know, we just stopped getting paid after we did all the work and we didn't do anything wrong along the path. And so um, if you approach it with that sort of uh, finesse and fine tuning, your realtors respect you when you do that, meaning they know you're not going to drop the ball. And let me tell you one of the little hooks that worked for me. I call it a hook. It wasn't a hook. It was the truth. Sure. We were coming out of a refi. We were coming out of refi market. It was kind of a refi market, 99, 2000, 2002, three. Uh, the Fed Reserve started raising rates. This is 2004 after uh, 9-11. And kind of what we're going climbing. into right now. We're about to edit now. Not quite yep. the same. I don't think it's going to be as ferocious, but it, it, who Right, knows? right, right. But let's be clear. Where rates, so now it's a purchase market intention more so than a refinance market. And a lot of loan officers had flooded the marketplace and they were just doing refis. They were really good at it. Well, I'd already done a ton of purchases. So I knew that there was a difference between a refinance loan and a purchase. So one of the ways that I was able to get in these top realtors was I used a hook. And it simply was um, before you trust your paycheck to another loan officer, you should read this free special report. And that was literally the hook. Now, the report was about four pages long, and all I did was discuss that the marketplace is full. By the way, I don't know what, what market you're in, what market a lot of your listeners are in, but in my market at the time, there were 14,000 loan officers, and the marketplace had 1.4 million people. That's just too many loan officers. Let's be clear. The marketplace don't need that many loan officers. Right, right. So right. I, was, I was just trying to draw a distinction that the same originators who you've been sending your past customers to to reduce their rates from eight to six are not the same qualified folks to do these purchase loans when, when inventory is short and deadlines are critical. Because in Vegas, at that time, if you missed your escrow, it was $100 a day. The builder Jeez. would charge you $100 a day. The seller, so I'm telling you, guys, uh, Luke, I was in some days. And so I used the leverage of that supply and demand problem in a way that I knew that there were less experienced originators and I, we, we mopped it up. We mopped it up because we were telling a story that was real. Only if you'd ever had a deal fall out of escrow on purchase would that invitation matter to you. And I was able to just develop relationships a mile a minute because I just touched on the pain point of losing the deal because the originator didn't know how to originate the purchase deal. Uh, maybe it was a construction of perm deal. Maybe it was whatever, builder deal, whatever. Uh, back then, purchase house, uh, and I don't know, it's probably still this way today. New homes would have a value up here. That same house across the street, the value was $60,000 different. How do you get that deal done? So anyway, and we can get in the dynamics of that were goofy too. But sure. anyway, I don't want to go off on a crazy, but this was what it, this is what the world was like back then. But Well, and, and interestingly uh, enough, I mean, that's that's the same market we're, we're essentially coming out of, right? We're, we're coming out of a, a super heavy refi market, right? 2020, 2021. Uh, rates were historically low, um, yeah, more volume done in those two half, years yeah. than, than than we've ever seen, right? Like, I mean, there, mm. there was people even getting 2.75 VAs, right? Like wow. VA loans, things wow. like that. So crazy, crazy. I mean, I even did a, a, a refi at 2.75 conventional uh, last year in 2021, right? So that's how low mm. rates were, right? Like, like historic, like when I bought our house in 2015, I had a 3.25. I thought that was like the lowest it would ever go. You know what right. I mean? Like, yeah. And, exactly. and yet, you know, five years later, it was, it was, uh, you know, a half a, a half a point lower and I did cash out and, you know, it was like, yeah. So realistically I could have probably got like a two and a half if, if it weren't for, you know, taking cash out and things like that. Right. Um, but that's, right. that's insane. Right. We're in a crazy, crazy market. We're coming into now, uh, rates have gone up in some cases up to almost a point in, in the last, you know, a few weeks. Um, so 
purchase is where it's at, right? We're in a low inventory market as well as uh, a market that now doesn't have all those refi, you know, all the refis mm-hmm. that we would have had. In addition to the fact that now we have a bunch of people that maybe would have qualified for purchase a year ago, now it doesn't qualify because the rate has gone up, you know, a, a half yeah. a point or a point, which means their yeah. buying power goes down, right? So, you know, there's yeah. a lot of things in this market that we're, plus, we're coming into plus the same inflation, Plus, yeah, yeah, no, it's, you're right. A lot of the same dynamics. You're right. You're right. So, so, you know, I know kind of what you do now, you, you're doing more of like the sort of full spectrum uh, of marketing, but do you have any sort of thoughts, guidance, anything that you would tell a loan officer, then go out today and go out and get more business? You know, it's very interesting. So it depends on where the loan officer is in the journey. But I always would say that, and this is where we start with all of our businesses. We work with a lot of clients that are, you know, half a million, million, 20 million, 30 million. We don't tend to get up there north of 100 million. We love the small, mid-sized companies. And here's what we always talk about. If the business has been around, you have a customer database, you have a past customer database, and inevitably... You're not there. There's no relationship. Inevitably, you sold them something and you thought the deal was over and they thought the deal, they thought the relationship was just beginning and they've done nothing. So we always start at what I call existing customers and starting to re um, re nurture the relationship. A lot of times we come in with companies, you know, I had a 43 year old uh, client, 43 year old company come to us, 35,000 customers. They hadn't, they don't have an email system in place. I'm like, they didn't have emails for the vast majority of them. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I get it. You started 43 years ago. Email wasn't a thing, but you don't want to just run to the top of the funnel and start trying to become brand aware to a whole bunch of people in a competitive space that you were sleep. You know, Amazon happened to be one of their competitors. Right. So you're not going to go get Amazon's business now. So that's a wrap. Right. The, right. So we started the, we always started what's, uh, what's already on the books. And of course, with the digital technology today, uh, you know, as well as I, Luke, that you can take that existing customer database, presuming you have email, and now you can get leverage on that platform, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, Google, LinkedIn, and you can start there and you can start to build out new audience segments who are like your existing customers so that you can then kind of go back to the top of the funnel. So I'm always a big believer in return on relationships. So that means before we go chase cold eyeballs, let's make sure we have done what you said, like at the very beginning of your business, let's do the beginning of your business, like you're brand new every year and make sure we've got a warm audience and a warm uh, touch base because the reticular activator system in our brain always will know someone who is doing the thing that you do. If you have reminded them that you do it. Right. You see, I got taught by a guy who's a, just a brilliant guy in neuro-linguistic programming back in 2002 And I'll never forget what he taught in this seminar. It was so powerful. And that is, it's our job as business owners in the product or service that we we represent, doesn't matter if it's mortgage or not, but there will always be people in your immediate sphere of influence who know someone who is actively looking at solving the problem that your product or service solves if they remember that you do it and it's your job to make them remember. And a lot of times I go and I don't see anybody doing touch-based campaigns, top of mind, I call them Toma campaigns. They don't, they're not doing top of mind awareness campaigns. What they will do though is say, hey, rates are low right now. You should do your refi. That's not the same thing. So we can use social media. One of the best tactics I ever talk about is using social media just as if you use direct mail. And if you use direct mail uh, the way I would do it back in the day, after a client closed, they heard from us, I forget the number now, 17 times a year. They heard after they bought a mortgage, they heard from us 17 times per year. Well, why is it 17 times? Well, there's at least 12 holidays that they should hear from you from. 
there's a birthday, there's an anniversary, there's a change of the weather in the spring, there's a change of the weather in the fall. I made sure, and by the way, it wasn't come get a loan, come get a refinance, and it wasn't send me the referral. I was just trying to maintain a relationship and stay top of mind because as they're walking around their normal week, they were going to know someone. Someone in their office was going to buy a house, someone in their in their church. I just needed to be present. And that's a mistake that not just loan officers make, but real estate agents make, insurance agents make, every business owner we work with, they just don't do this because they always just want more leads. And right. the, the highest cost, but they all agree, Luke, they all agree that the highest cost, uh, the, the highest ROI marketing activity is getting a referral. They agree, <laughs> but they're not doing anything to get the referral. And yep, so yep. that was what, so, so I start there and then we move back up. Like where's the low hanging fruit people at the bottom of the funnel. And then what I call content marketing, which is in the middle of the funnel, which is going and getting in front of people with the frequently asked questions that they're asking. If you can show up there, your competitors aren't there. Uh, I remember building my YouTube channel in 2007. This is before it became cool to be a YouTuber. Uh, right. And I just got tired of answering the same 48 questions. And so I just recorded a video for all 48 questions and put them on the YouTube channel. And it was just funny how when the market crashed in 08 and people were trying to buy properties in different parts of the country, and I was licensed in a number of states, People would find my YouTube channel. This is obviously YouTube SEO, they call it today, but I didn't know what it was right, exactly right. at the time. And people were just calling me saying they'd already listened to all the videos on my channel. They're just ready to do a loan. And here's the thing about it. If you do that in your marketplace today, it's not so much that it's about getting the total number of views on your channel. It's letting people know that you have a resource available for first-time home buyers on your YouTube channel. You have a resource available for your investors, whatever that may be. I call it releasing your expertise. And I try to get professionals service providers specifically, who do a lot of face-to-face -face or one-on-one -on -one transactions to find these strategies to give them leverage in the business. They all agree. They answer the same 18 to 25 to 50 questions. They're all very important to the customer. The customer, you already know they're going to ask you, but then they have this grimace on their face because like, oh, I can get on this call, answers, same daggum questions. So the point is, is you can use different ways to get leverage there. And then once you do all of that content dump, now you can do a lot of the other things such as um, really simple campaigns. I use dollar a day strategy campaigns where we're just staying top of mind to the people that matter. And it's cheaper than it direct mail ever was. And most people just don't do it, which is an absolute shame. I have no idea why. We, we talk to them about these dollar a day campaigns, which is way cheaper than direct mail. And it's just a shame people won't even do it because all they want to do is run to a high quality lead who's ready to do business today. And I know in your system, this is the master of what you guys teach. I've watched your program. That's the reason why I get to jump on here because I knew you were a guy cut from the same cloth in terms yeah. of lead generate in terms of lead generation and leverage. Like we use some of the same tools. And um, uh, but there's an opportunity to grow your personal brand uh, with these platforms that a lot of people are missing. And so we have a we have to do yep. a lot of work around that. Yeah, I love that. And and I think, um, you know, like we kind of mentioned, I think we talked about this off, off camera or whatever, but it was like, you know, people think that they need leads. They think that by, by buying leads, you're miraculously going to grow their business. And the truth is, especially when it comes to internet leads, like you're getting the conversion rates and particularly in the mortgage and real estate industry is particularly low, right? Because think about like what the sort of person that you're looking for, maybe 20 to 30% of, of all Americans can afford a, a median price home in their market, right? Like in California, I think 30% of people can that live in California can afford a median price home. So I think you have to like average 140 grand a month, or sorry, a year 
in California mm-hmm. to buy a median price home. So you got to also think about like the market also dictates what a quality lead is as well. There's like so many, so many variables there, but you mentioned it, right? Like sphere of influence. Okay. We just talked about it. How many people are actually touching their sphere of influence? We do some uh, like a very small percentage of that we do like reactivation campaigns, but just very much like mm-hmm. one time <clears throat> thing of like, Hey, you know, rates have changed. And we've had people that close two, three, four million off of just that. These are people that have, yeah. they've already called. We've had people that, you know, uh, that, that have been trying trying to call their leads or trying to call their past clients. The person didn't answer. We send out one text blast and they pick up two or three deals just off the people that they've been chasing, right? Because again, it yeah. just comes down to having that, um, you know, it's going to be the warmer market. You're going to get more deals. You don't have to, you don't have to convince them that they should work with you, all those types of things. And then leads also take longer. It takes, it's a nurture process, you know, especially in mortgage, right? Like if they're ready to move forward today, the day you got the lead, if they're ready to move forward, they still got to get pre-approved. They still got to go out and put in offers. And obviously in this market, people are having to put in 10, 15, 20 offers before they get an offer accepted because people are putting in, yeah. you know, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 over asking. Um, so we're in a crazy market. So, you know, just to think that, that, you know, every single person that you talk to is going to be ready to move forward today. is just, is just a little bit, you know, a little bit ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, like you said, I mean, they're leads, right? They're cold leads. They're people that don't know, like, or trust you. And so those right. people, those referral quality leads, you can either get them via referral or you can get them via long-term branding and awareness campaigns, right? Yeah. Well, here's, you know, one of the things that's interesting. Yeah. I, I think every loan officer listening to this would agree. And that is timing is a, is a factor that you can't control. They could have the right finances, the right credit score, the right capital, and the market could even be different right now. It's obviously a shortage of inventory, but all of those things could be there. Your job, and you still may have all the right uh, factors. They could have the budget, all this stuff. But you don't control the timing, and so I was—I just—I just made peace with that, Luke. I just made peace with the fact that if, in fact, they are going to buy something, then my job is to make sure they know exactly who I am until they're ready to buy. Longest here's a funny story: longest client I had in my database before they purchased was 33 months. They wow. heard from me every month for 33 months. And I use technology, so they didn't hear from me personally by phone. They heard right. from me through a drip system, and the drip system wasn't saying start your loan app, start your loan app, start your loan app, start your loan. It was valuable information. And here's what I tell a lot of people, and this is both in inside the real estate mortgage industry or out, and that is your job is to make sure that when they're ready, they believe you're the person that they should be working with. That's your job. Now, how do you do that today? You can do it a lot of ways. Instagram, YouTube, all the mechanisms that are available. And the reality is you don't need tens of thousands of dollars a month in a budget to do that. Whereas you do need that when you're trying to generate ice cold leads to the to the right, end. Right, 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 right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I 100% so. agree. And, and just to your point real quick on, on you know, people need to know what you do, right? And so I, th- I see too many times face on like stuff like Facebook, Instagram, you go to their profile and like you... you you couldn't tell that they're a loan officer. You you have you would have no idea by looking at their profile that they're a loan officer. Like that doesn't mean right. you have to speak about being a loan officer every single second of every, every single day. day yeah. But you should have your you should have your job listed there. You should have it. You help you know you help consumers. You help people buy and refinance yeah. properties. Like yeah. you should talk about it every once in a while. Yeah. People should know that yeah. you're the loan officer. You're not always asking for business every single day. You don't even necessarily post every single day about business. But right. you know, you do want them to know who you are because, like, if if I Google your name and I can't find you on any of the social profiles or anything online, like, you don't exist, right? Like, you here's don't the exist. other side. Of, here, here's the other side of it, right? So we could do all of that, and this is where I, I talk to a lot of exhausted entrepreneurs who are posting everywhere, but because the right. algorithm doesn't show your post to everybody that's even following you, 
I just had a call like this three weeks ago and me and the guy were, uh, we've been friends since college and he's a good entrepreneur. He's doing his thing. And he says, so what are you up to these days? Now I know for sure we comment on each other's posts and things of nature, but he's clearly never seen some of my business posts. His comment was, so what are you doing these days? Now I've been doing what I've been doing for 10 years. Like I left the real estate industry, mortgage industry over 10 years ago, 11 years ago. Right. I've been doing the same thing for the last 10 years, business coaching and, and running uh, the agency. So it was just interesting because it made me stop and think. Though it appears that we are very connected on Facebook, which is our primary where him and I, uh, he doesn't see any of my business posts. And I'm thinking, oh, that's the mechanism called Facebook. They don't want you to see. So that right, right. So the way we this this is why we do the ad thing, right? So you can't just live your life in organic land because Facebook has an incentive to keep you. I'm not picking on Facebook, but all the platforms do. They right. want you to stay on their platform. So if you put a thing on your website called a blog or called a video or a landing page, Facebook doesn't really want the person leaving the platform to go over right, and check right. that out. So that's why we use ads to make sure we're top of mind to the right people. And um but it is interesting, right? Everybody complains, oh, my organic reach and all this stuff. Well, okay, but it is their business. Right? Right. We're playing on their platform. It's their yard. It's their field. It's their picnic, whatever you want to call it. So well, yeah, they make most, most people that are complaining about that, though, just don't put out good content, right? Like, you know. And, well, and, and, there, and, there's and, some, I, I run in marketing communities where there's some really good marketers and they put out good content, but they don't get the economics of business. See, the minute Facebook went public in 2012, the organic game was over. Now, yeah, yeah, organic sure. they couldn't they couldn't just take it overnight, but it's been on a decline. Oh, Google's especially on the game. business pages. Let's look at Google. Google used to have three ads at the top, and that was it. And they used to have some ads on the right. When they figured out the ads on the right didn't work, they got rid of the ads on the right, and they put a fourth ad at the top, and then they put three ads at the bottom. Right. Then they started bumping the local map listing down, where local where loan officers and mortgage companies could be found. Mm-hmm. Then they started putting organic lists. I mean, so look. We could talk about this with every platform. And let's be clear, everybody loves the TikTok rage right now. TikTok right. Is, is run by ads too. If, if they make it, they're going to have to make their ad platform work. It's the reason why Vine went away. All of these platforms, if they can't make their ad mechanism work, there is no reason. Now, the only exception to that rule is like LinkedIn, who got bought for $2 billion by Microsoft. That right. might be a platform where because the, their ad product is not, is not right. anything to write home about. So- but if you're looking at the Facebooks and the Instagrams, which are the same, and then you look at the TikToks of the world, Twitter's ad platform is garbage. Uh, I'm sorry. You know, I just, they, they just are. I've been in this 11 years. Sure. Um, the fact of the matter is you're going to play in the ads game if you're going to have maximum success on social, even if you think your customer isn't there, right? And that's just the reality. They have more data. Sure. Apple right now is trying to put them out of the game. Let's be clear. Uh, this latest iOS update, oh. they're, they're literally like, they're like coming after Zuck in a big way. Nah, they're, um, they're, they're, they're doing that because they're going to just launch their own ad platform. Well, I mean, so I just can't wait. Thank you, possible. Apple. I want, I want the Apple, it's, Apple ads. Those are going to be good. It's possible. It's possible. I mean, in either way, they're, they're, they're two big giants fighting against each other. Sure. I think Zuck will figure it out. Um, you know, he's got too much ad revenue online, but let's be clear. Look at what happened to their stock just recently. By the time this episode right, comes out, right. they'll have to look back. But what the single biggest one day drop, I mean, come on, um, that just doesn't happen. And so right, there's some right. dynamics that are happening at Facebook. Not to say it's, it. by the way, we're in Facebook all day, every day, our clients are right, on right, it. Right. I think they'll figure it out. They hired 160 something engineers to yeah. figure it out. I'll figure it. They'll They're figure pretty it out. smart. 
they're pretty smart. And so, yeah. So anyway, just, just to kind of wrap things up, man, where, where's some good uh, uh, places that people can find you? If someone wants to go find a little bit more about you, where, where can people find you? Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, so I host a podcast called the Mind Shift Podcast. So where you're listening to Luke's podcast, you can just uh, search in the directory for the Mind Shift Podcast with Daryl Evans. And uh, outside of that, I'm hanging out and goofing around on Instagram uh, at Mr. Daryl Evans. And my website is DarylEvans.net. Those conduits will send you to all the rest of the stuff that I'm into as far as my agency and all this other stuff. So if you're interested, uh, I'd stop at the podcast first, the mindshippodcast.com. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Daryl, for being here, man. I love all of the insight that you gave for me. I mean, just one of the things or my biggest takeaway uh, from today's conversation was like, how, figure out how you can give more value to your realtors, right? Like, and and not just think think outside the box, right? I mean, something you were doing way ahead of time was going direct to the consumer and being able to get back deals. That could be an option for you, or you could do something different, right? But find a way to give back value, have classes on how to generate the leads, figure out a way to get in and be different. And again, have that conversation. Don't worry about being super exclusive. Don't worry about, you know, getting all their business on the very first conversation. That just gets a little, little crazy. So thank you so much, Daryl, for being here. Thank you for everybody for listening. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning into the Loans on Demand podcast on loansondemandpodcast.com. The Loans on Demand podcast.